We are in the uh, parshiot of uh, of Egypt of Shemot, Vera, and so on. Um, so I, I thought it would be very interesting to have a, a certain understanding of what all this means. Yeah, certain ideas which I had mentioned, but sort of like I want to bring it as a you know a. a, a Sort of like to summarize everything, and then to to add m- many other dimensions to this, uh, so we get a good understanding <clears throat> of what is happening, or what happened, what is happening. You see, now I had mentioned, um, so I really have to say it over again. <clears throat> um, in Shemois. Moshe Rabbeinu goes out amongst the Jews and he sees one Jew hitting another Jew. So he says to that Jew, why are you hitting your fellow Jew? And that Jew says to him, well, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moshe Rabbeinu makes a very strange statement. He says, Surely the matter is known. What does that mean, surely the matter is known? So the real meaning, the regular meaning is that, of course, um, Moshe Rabbeinu said to himself, well, this Jew is going to inform on me to Paroi, right? And as a result of that, I'm, I'm going to be tremendously either harmed or killed. So, Ochi Noida means surely the matter is known, surely the matter that I killed the Egyptian will be known to Paroi, and that obviously is very bad for me. But Rashi says that that wasn't really his concern. Rashi at that place says, Moshe Rabbeinu really said this, Surely the matter is known. What Moshe Rabbeinu said was this, that um, I always wondered, why are the Jews punished so severely, you know, more than other nations? So he said to himself, Surely the matter is known to me. Why? Because I see that the Jews speak Russian horror, which of course means evil speech, negative speech. I see that they do that because this person wants to reveal what I did and that I killed the Egyptian. So the fact that the Jews speak Russian horror, which of course means tremendously negative speech, that is the reason why the Jews suffer so much. This is what it says uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu was very young, before he fled Egypt. Now, of course, we have to ask ourselves is, that, you know, what does that mean? Are, are you going to say that the reason why the Jews are in exile, Golis Mitzrayim, the exile of Egypt, is because the Jews speak Russian horror? Well, it would certainly seem so. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. That's why they are in such a severe Golis. You see, but is that really what it means? Well, how do we understand that? Then we find that Moshe Rabbeinu fled uh, because that's exactly what happened. This Jew informed on, to him about Moshe to Paroi, and of course they issued a death decree against Moshe, and Moshe Rabbeinu had to flee Egypt. <laughs> and, he was gone, and he was gone, obviously, for many years. In any case, we find by the sneh, the burning bush, 
that God approaches Moshe and he says to Moshe Rabbeinu to take the Jews out. And then God says to him, take your hand, put it in your coat, and then take it out. And of course, it was Tsuras. It had the plague on it. And then God said, put your hand back in. And he did, and then take it out, and he did. And it was as uh, it was cured. There was no plague on his hand. And uh, what was God saying, the Rabbanushim saying to Moshe? So the Clay Yoker says, was a famous commentary on the Chumash, that what, what uh, Moshe Rabbeinu said to the Bersham is the following. He said, they're not going to be able to go out. Why are you sending me? <laughs> why? Because the reason why they're there is because they speak Russian horror. So they still speak Russian horror. So why are you sending me to take them out? I can't. So God said, put your hand in your coat, take it out, then put it in, take it out. And he showed Moshe that his saras, which was on his hand, is gone. It's cured. So what God was saying to him, very interesting concept, <clears throat> is that the Jews do not speak Lashonara. Because it says in the Gemara <clears throat> that one of the reasons why a person gets saras which is, it's not leprosy, even though they translate it that way. It's a skin discoloration. It's a plague that comes on the skin. Anyway, it says in the Gemara that one of the reasons why the, a person gets it is because he speaks Russian horror. So God was saying to him, put your hand in your coat and take it out, and the hand is now, has this plague, <clears throat> which is because of Russian horror, and now put it back in and take it out, and it's cured. So what God was saying to him is that you were right, that the reason why the Jews were in Egypt, why the exile of Egypt happened, is because of Lashon Hara, but now they don't speak it anymore. That's what God was saying. The Rebbeim was saying to Moshe that the Jews do not speak Lashon Hara in Egypt. Therefore, you could now take them out. <clears throat> This is what the clay yoka says. Now what is interesting is that's what the medrash says. There's a medrash that says the following. In fact, it says three times in the medrash. The Jews were only redeemed from Egypt. What ended the Egyptian exile? Bishvil because because there was nobody that spoke Lashon Hara. Which is an amazing idea. Could you imagine? Nobody in Egypt spoke Lashon Hara. And because of that, Moshe Rabbeinu is able to take them out. Now, it doesn't say in the Medrash why. What happened, <clears throat> which is interesting, what happened that all of a sudden the Jews stopped speaking Lashon Hara? And because of that, that meant that the exile of Egypt was now terminated. It was over. It doesn't say why, but that's what it does say, is that they stopped speaking Lashon Hara. So again, the second the question we have to ask is why? Why are they in Egypt because of Lashon Hara? And why did they get out because of Lashon Hara? Because we know the reason why they're in Egypt is because they worship idols. 
You see? They worshipped the idols and so on. In fact, when the Jews stood at the, the Yamsuf, right, the Kriyas Yamsuf, then the, the angel of Egypt said, <coughs> why is it that you want to take the Jews out, save the Jews, and kill the Egyptians? You know, the Egyptians worship idols, but so do the Jews. This was what the Malach said. So we see, therefore, that the Jews did worship idols. In fact, we know that the Jews were Memteshai Tumah. They were on the 49th level of defilement. That's how bad they had become, you see. So that really raises the question that the reason why the Jews were in Egypt, Golis Mitzrayim, the exile of Egypt, is because of worshipping idols. What does this have to do with Lashonara? That is the question. And that is a very important concept, as we will see. <coughs> because it has tremendous amount of application to today's times, as I will show you. In any case, this is what we see so far. Now, the answer to this I had mentioned, or at the beginning of, of our understanding, is as I have mentioned previously, based on a Gemara in Sanhedrin, where it says, Aim ben David bo that the Mashiach ben David will only come, only bedor in a generation, that's kulum chayyob, that is completely sinful, or zakoim, or meritorious. That's what it says. Which is astounding. I mean, that Gemara is saying that the generation in which the Mashiach comes can only be a generation where everybody's meritorious, which means Everybody's doing mitzvahs. Now, we understand what that means, obviously. They're doing mitzvahs, right? So they've completed the tikkun. So obviously, the redemption is here. They've completed the rectification of creation. But what does the Gemara mean that he also comes, or he can come, in a generation where everybody's sinning? It's astounding. Because if everybody's sinning, why would they deserve the Mashiach? Yet that's what the Gemara says. You see. So, in many ways, the Gemara is alluding to very important ideas. Now, what is important to know is, this, is that what the Gemara is referring to, when, when a generation where everybody's sinning, <clears throat> what does that mean? It means that the generation of Jews find themselves in a climate in an environment of Memtesh Sharitumah, that the Jews have created the 49th level of contamination, of sinning. That's how bad it is. That's what Zechayov means. In a generation where everybody's sinning, that's what it means. It means the Jews have brought down the climate of the generation to a generation of complete sin which is the 49 gates of Tumah, of contamination, of evil, and so on. That's what Chayob means. So the question obviously is, why would the Mashiach come in a generation where everybody's sinning? 
That doesn't mean everybody literally, 100% of the Jews? No. It doesn't mean everybody. But it means the overwhelming majority of Jews are sinning. And what that means is that, therefore, they have created the climate of tremendous amount of defilement, tumor, contamination. And in that generation, he comes. You see, uh, so we have to understand what does this mean. Now, <clears throat> mankind goes on its way. You know, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not good, you know. But when a generation, and I, I'll give you an example. Let's take the generation of Sedoim. Sedoim and Amora by Avram Avinu. The Bershom appears to Avram Avinu and says, I'm going to wipe out Sedoim, you see, which is remarkable. You see, he was going to destroy the whole city, not only that city, but all the other cities connected to Sedoim. Now, Sedoim was a very powerful city. In those days, you had city-states, where the whole city was like a state. And he was going to wipe them out. And then he has this whole dialogue with Avram Avinu, and Avram Avinu is trying to intercede and save them and so on, whatever. But the main idea is, why would the Russian want to wipe out Sedoim? You see? And he was going to do this supernaturally. I mean, that's, what, that's what happened. In fact, he even sends Malachim, angels, to wipe them out. One was to save uh, Lloyd, and the other was to wipe them out, and so on. Sedoim, <laughs> you see. Why would he want to wipe out Sedoim? And the answer is because Sedoim has created Emem Teshari in its city. The, that city was so bad that God said, I have to wipe it out. You see? And just destroy them. Where do we see this? Because Sedoim was, in, in, was uh, focused on two terrible sins. One is that they made a mockery of civilization. There were many laws in Sedoim that were, it's hard to believe there were laws. For instance, if somebody would come and bring a thief to court, so the court would, would uh, make liable not the perpetrator, but the victim. He would have to pay the thief. Why? Because if he didn't have the item that the thief stole, then the thief would never have stolen it. You believe this kind of justice? So it's not just that the city practiced a bizarre form of justice, but it was a mockery of justice. Civilization cannot survive with that type of laws and so on. So that's number one. The second thing about Sedoim was that they were tremendously hashkosa, corrupt in, in uh, sexual matters. We find that <laughs> that the angels that came to Lut to rescue him and to destroy the city, you see, so the people of the city got wind of it, and this is all in the Torah, and they went to the house of Lut, like the whole city, and they wanted to have, obviously, some type of homosexual contact with these two people who were really malochim, angels, but that's what they wanted. So Lut, in order Lut, in order to save the honor of these two people, Malachim, she said, no, don't please do not touch them. They are under my roof, and so on. Instead, if you want, I'll give you my daughters, 
which is very difficult to understand, that he's willing to sacrifice his daughters to commit these acts with the people of the city to save the two strangers. But in any case, this is what happens. So what happens? Right? After he makes that offer, they say, no, we don't want, we don't care, the people say, we don't care, we want those two guys. Right? And they begin to barge, to break into the door <coughs> of, of, of Lloyd's house to get the two guys. Well, you're fooling around with the wrong guys. These are malachim. So the malachim cast a spell of blindness. Sanverim. They blinded the whole city. It's unbelievable. Right? So what does it say? It says, and these people, they didn't care, even though they were blind. They wearied themselves trying to break down the door. You see. And then the malachim say to them, you have to grab your, your daughters and your son-in-laws and sons, whatever. We all have to flee. See, so what do we see? The city was corrupt, all right, in what's called uh, uh, corrupt in uh, in homosexual matters, in matters of uh, <clears throat> of uh, sexual deviations and so on. City cannot survive that way either. Therefore, God said, "I must destroy the city." Okay, because they had reached the Memtashari Tuma. You're going to wipe them out. I always find it interesting. There's an interesting question. <clears throat> now, wait a minute. Before God does destroy the city, or really a, a totality of a municipality, He always will send a warning. We see that He sent the warning, for instance, by the Mabel, by the flood of Noach. When Noach built that ark for 120 years, warning the inhabitants. And then Ninveh, by Yoinah, he warned Ninveh that they would be destroyed. So why didn't God dis, uh, warn uh, Sedaim? <laughs> Which is an interesting question. Since he now was going to destroy, I mean, he was going to kill everybody, you see. So that's a question. But the answer, when you think about it, is right in the Pasuk. Because when is it appropriate to warn a city or anybody when they have a fear of death? So you could say to them, well, you fear death. If you keep doing what you're doing, you will die. So since the, per since the person fears death, uh, he will stop. But what happens if a person doesn't fear death? In fact, his desire to sin is greater than his fear of death. Well, you can't warn him. He's not interested if he dies. His desire to do the sin is much greater than his fear of death. By the city of Sedaim, when the angels cast blindness on the whole city, they knew these people were not normal people. These people are supernatural. But how in the world do you cast a spell where everybody's blind? So these people knew that the, the two guests of Lloyd were not natural or normal people. So what would be the normal reaction? Is that the people would say to themselves, we need to flee because they'll kill us next. But they didn't flee. The Torah says, on the contrary, they wearied themselves to break the door down. But that doesn't make sense. Aren't you afraid that if these guys can blind the whole city, they can kill you next? Obviously, they didn't care. Because they chose the extent of their hashkosa, of their terrible corruption, you see, and sin, that even though they knew they could die, they didn't care. 
their desire for evil, sinning, was greater. It's interesting. But in any case, we see that when a city does reach Mem Teshai Tomah, because of Hashkoso, because of tremendous sexual deviancies, you see, and because of a mockery of justice, right? God will destroy that place because the civilization cannot be built on that place. So this is Sodom, you see. Second time we find this, of course, is by the marble, by the uh, flood. <clears throat> now we know why the flood happened. Two reasons. The first reason is because there was tremendous amount of gezelo, gezel, robbery. Now robbery means that nobody's possessions were safe. Again, it's a mockery of justice. I mean, the basic law, what is law really for? It's to secure the safety of citizens and to secure their possessions, you see, so that they can do business, they can maintain a lifestyle. If everybody's stealing from everybody else, outright robbery and so on, how do you live in a city like that? You see? Because it's not merely your life that's threatened, but everything you own is threatened. So how could you maintain civilization? And that's exactly the generation of the flood, what they were doing. So that's sin number one. Sin number two, you see, <clears throat> is they were all incredibly sexually deviant. In fact, the Medrash says the following. It says, The reason why the decree against the people of the generation of the flood why it was sealed is because when a guy, listen to this, when a guy would marry a man, when a man would marry a man, or if a man would marry an animal. So we're not just talking here about homosexuality, right? We're talking here about what's called bestiality. Do you believe this? Then the, the law was that you had to write a super. So what they did is they justified it, they legalized it, based on, they enshrined it in the law. Can you believe this? So it wasn't that people, you know, did these acts. They actually made it legal. They, and then, like I say, enshrined it as a, as a legal requirement to give them a ksuba, which is a document where they spell out the obligations that they have to that which they <clears throat> own or whatever. So you see also that they were involved in unbelievable Hashchoso. Well, guess what? That means the marble or the people of that generation were involved in the 49th level of Tumor. You see? So mankind actually had descended into a state where they had invited in the 49 levels of defilement. And again, you have the same situation which means that the world cannot continue because civilization cannot maintain itself. So this is the idea of the flood. But what we see at that time is that, <clears throat> wait a minute, so God has one of two choices in that certain, certain sense. God wants to start the restart button 
which means that if the world has reached such a low level environment where it's the 49 levels of tumor of defilement <coughs> where the world cannot even survive then what God does is he has to press the restart button in some way he has to end it in some way you see now the way God decided to end like I say Sadaim, he ended it by he wiped it, he wiped out the whole place he wiped out uh, several cities you know one of them he allowed Lot to run to <clears throat> but basically he wiped out that whole section of Eretz Yisrael near the Dead Sea you see now in the marble in the generation of the flood he wiped out the entire world could you imagine how serious that sin is or those sins or how serious the decree is that God would wipe out the entire mankind it's incredible and that's exactly what God did he warned them they didn't care they wiped them out why because God does not well, he wants to start restart civilization because he created mankind for a specific purpose which I had mentioned many times so what he did is he wiped them out and he allowed Noach and his sons and their wives and all the animals to survive to restart civilization you see now besides that what we see something interesting you see when God does press the restart button what does he do well the Gemara Sanhedrin reveals an awesome idea that one of the ways of restarting civilization is to end it but to end it is not necessarily to destroy it to end it means to bring the Mashiach yes to bring the Messiah that's what the Gemara means that the Mashiach can only come in a generation if it's meritorious where everything has been accomplished or in a generation which is so bad such memtashai tumor that God must start it all over again but this time God does not start it over he ends it he brings the Mashiach that's what that Gemara really means where do we see this well we certainly didn't see it by Sadaim we didn't see it by the marble you see but we do see it by Egypt which is a very important idea because as we will see we are now in the exact same situation as Egypt you see what happened in Egypt that the Jews sinned terribly they had descended right from their lofty position when they first entered the 70 Nishamas that entered with Yaakov Avinu and they were very high spiritually but after 210 years they really fell and they worshipped idols and as a result of that they brought the environment of Egypt to Memteshai Tumah certainly that was well Egypt anyway what's called Shtufi Zima Egypt was an incredibly licentious place tremendous Zima you know but the Jews were involved in Avedizorah 
as I had mentioned. So what God decided is that if the Jews slip into the 50th level of Tumor, defilement, then they cannot be redeemed because they will have descended too far down. They will have overwhelmed in the entire place with evil, you see, sinning. And therefore, there's no free will. Somebody born into such a situation, you see, when the whole world or their place is tremendous amount of sinning, really doesn't stand a chance of doing mitzvahs or being righteous, you see. Uh, so if the Jews fall into the 50th level of tumor, of defilement, then they can't get out, which obviously is terrible. So what God decides, therefore, is when it's chayovim. Chayov means they're all guilty of sinning, you see. Then what God also wants to start the restart button, you see. But this time, he's not going to destroy them. So instead, he's going to bring the Mashiach. Now, this is where the problems begin. Because the Mashiach is not coming because the Tikkun has been complete. In other words, the rectification has been complete. That's not why he's coming. He's coming to save the Jews. So in such a situation, the following occurs. <coughs> the Sutton, the great heavenly prosecuting attorney, all of a sudden stands up, enters the, the Besden, Shalmailo, the heavenly tribunal, and begins to protest. And he has a right to do that because that is his job. That's his assignment, is to defend justice. And here's what he says. One, what do you mean? You can't bring the Mashiach. Of course, who do he mean? You, you can't bring Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the Mashiach, because he's the one tasked to take the Jews out of Egypt, uh, bring them to Israel, and also to give them the Torah and so on. Why? First of all, they haven't done the Tikkun. Right? They're supposed to be there 400 years. Instead, they're only there 210. So the Tikkun is not complete. That's number one. Number two, how can you bring the redemption? The redemption is a climate of unbelievable righteousness, holiness, visions of God, prophecy. They don't deserve this. You see? That's number two. You see? That's what he says. Number three, you see, like I said, they don't deserve this through justice. The, 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 justice has not been served. <clears throat> so how could you bring the Mashiach? And then, what, and then since they're sinning so much, right, then I deserve, this is what the Sultan says, that my people who do evil, they should be dominant. Because if they are not righteous, if they are sinning, then evil should dominate. It's only fair. You see? That's what the, 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 the Sultan says. And he's sitting there and being Makatreg because God wants to bring the Mashiach to press the restart button instead of destroying the Jews and so on. That's what the Sultan does.
Now the Sutton has a real claim. So because God wants to bring the Mashiach, right, through sinning, then certain things have to happen. One of the things that has to happen, and we now understand, you see, is called no Lushen horror. Why? <coughs> Without going into the whole thing, and I have a whole sheer on the, the inner meaning or the inner power, the true power of speaking Lushen horror as one of the shurim which I have given, and so on. You can, you can even get the transcript of it. But in any case, um, because when a person speaks Lashon Hara, that is the basic way that you induce a kitrug, a prosecution against yourself, measure for measure. When a person speaks Lashon Hara, right, then he is condemning another Jew. And as a result of that, measure for measure, then the Sutton has the right to condemn him in the heavenly tribunal. And that condemnation is called a prosecution, you see. So it comes out, <coughs> comes out that one of the, what, what the, the great damage or harm that Russian horror speaking negatively about somebody, the great damage that it does is that it awakens the judicial court. It invokes the judicial court to judge the person who speaks Russian horror. Why? Measure for measure. You condemn, and therefore the Sutton can prosecute you and condemn you for one of your sins. So the Sutton therefore has the right to open up your file that has all your sins. And for every word that you say of Russian horror, he can pull out one file that has one sin. Two words, he can pull out two files. For every word that a person speaks of Russian horror, the Sutton can prosecute him in a heavenly tribunal. For every single word. Can you imagine what that means if somebody ta- starts talking Russian horror? It's, it's astounding. In fact, Russian horror is the primary way that a person finds himself in court. You see. You know this why? Because that's the way he invokes the... That is the way he invokes the judicial process. You see is primarily through his own speech, which is interesting. It's not, the, the, what invokes a judicial, judicial process against a person in the heavenly tribunal is not when he sins. He has to speak Russian horror, basically, and that is what invokes a judicial, judicial process, where the Sutton now can condemn him. Bakatreg, you see, measure for measure. That's the way it works. So if that's the case, think of the reverse. If a person doesn't speak Russian horror, or he makes it his business, really, in many ways, not to speak, then it is very difficult for the Sultan to prosecute him. Why? Because he doesn't speak Russian horror, and therefore the Sultan does not have the wherewithal 
to invoke the judicial process against this person. It comes out uh, that Shmir Saloshan, which is not talking about Shnora, is one of the greatest ways to prevent your going to court in heaven. And therefore you can preserve your muzzle. All the good things that should happen to you is not disturbed because of your Lashonara, because you're not prosecuted. So it comes out one of the greatest ways a person can protect himself against being tried in heaven, and that itself can wreak havoc with all the good things he has in life, is to avoid speaking Lashon horror and avoid, of course, listening Lashonara and believing Lashonara. But I'm not going to get into all those details. In any case, therefore, what Moshe Rabbeinu said is this. We understand it beautifully. I know the Jews worship idols, but if they don't talk Russian horror, then there's no prosecutions in heaven. Why? Because a Sutton cannot invoke a judicial process if people do not speak Russian horror. You see? That's what he said. So his question was, I think they don't speak Russian horror, so therefore even though they sin, right? even though they sin, and they are in the Memteshari Tumah, and they are in the 49th level, well, they are protected, because they don't speak Lashon Hara. Could you believe what Moshe Rabbein was saying? But when he saw that one Jew is going to speak against him, because he killed the Egyptian, then he realized that they do speak Lashon Hara, which means that the fact that they worship idols, and the fact that they have introduced the Memtashari Tumah is what is destroying them. That's why they are in exile, you see. Because this idea that they worship idols is known to the Sultan. And he's invoking the judicial process against the Jews. And that's what he meant. Surely the matter is known, you see, that they worship idols. Because they speak Lashon Hara. It's an incredible concept when you think about that. Now, that's why later on we find when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, is being asked by the Rabbanu Shalom to take the Jews out, right? <laughs> so Moshe Rabbeinu correctly says, he says, you can't take them out. Why? Because you, God, since you created justice, you need to answer the Satan. Because he's screaming that they worship idols. And he obviously knows about all this because the Jews invoke that process, judicial process, because they speak Lashon Hara. So that's when the Rebbe said, no, they don't speak anymore. Now we understand why the Rebbe said that. And he gave him as a symbol. Take your hand, put it in, take it in. It's, it has saras, right, plague. Take it in, put it out again, and it's cured. So the Russian was telling them an incredible movement. Somehow there was a movement in Egypt. And they realized, the Jews realized that what is destroying them is not their sins. It's not even the Memtashai Toma. It's the Russian horror that reveals all of this to the Sultan. Incredible. So the Russian said they don't speak anymore, which means that they have correctly 
stopped the judicial process. And therefore, I now can proceed and save them with the Mashiach, you see, which is astounding. And now you understand something else. When they finally get to the Kriyas Yamsuf, they finally get to the Yamsuf, right? The Reed Sea, right? So Meshav, and all of a sudden they start complaining and they start talking against Moshe and against God. What do you mean? How could you bring us here? Because there's no graves in Egypt. So we have to die in the desert and so on. What were they doing? They were talking Lashon Hara against Moshe and against the Rabbana Shalom. But what was the danger of that? That they would reassert the Lashon Hara movement again which would automatically mean that the Satan will now again have the right to invoke the judicial process. So that's, we now understand beautifully, why Moshe Rabbeinu says, stand back and watch, right? As Yeshua Hashem, the salvation of God, right? Hashem Yilochim Lochem, God will fight for you. And then he says, something which is incredible. Fi'atem tachrishon, but be silent. So we can ask ourselves, where this come in? What do you mean be silent? You know? What does that have to do with watching that God will fight for you? And that's what he said. What Moshe Rabbeinu said, the reason why God can take you out, basically, is because you don't talk Russian horror. And therefore there's no process, there's no judicial process against you. And as a result of that, the Rebbeinu can take you out and bring the Mashiach, even though you don't deserve it, you see, because you have substantially minimized the Ketrugim, the prosecutions, you see. So therefore you need to be silent. Because if you start up the old business of speaking Lashonara, you're going to invoke the judicial process, and the Rebbeinu is going to have to justify his acts of taking you out and bringing the Mashiach to the Satan. You see, you're going to make it terrible for yourselves. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Be silent. Because what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them, you need to be silent and not talk Lashon Hara against God. You see? Because what that does is it enormously minimizes the entire judicial process. We understand beautifully what is going on, you see. Meanwhile, the Sultan had brought those things up. So here's the problem. The Jews are now being taken out. The Roshim has pressed the restart button. But the truth is, right, that the Tikkun is not complete. And not only that, but also they're sinning. There was a prosecution. They're sinning. Uh, so the Roshim, therefore, has to do something remarkable. He has to satisfy the judgment. And all of a sudden, when Moshe Rabbeinu came, and Paris said, they're lazy, let them gather straw at night, which was terrible Yisurin, suffering. Imagine, they have to build bricks in the day, right? And they have to gather straw at night to make the bricks. That means they never slept. The whole family was out in Egypt, there were no flashlights. Imagine trying to gather straw in the fields of Egypt. Terrible. 
because the reason for that was God has to satisfy the judgment because of all the previous kitrugim, you see, all the previous prosecutions. So it comes out that if the Rebbe presses the restart button and he brings the Mashiach to save the Jews from slipping into the 50th gate of Tumah, then he must satisfy judgment. Satisfy justice. So automatically, everything turns on its head. Everything reverses, which is astounding. It's a very important concept, you see. And the reason why the Jews have to suffer is the very reason, or rather, it's because the Mashiach came. The Mashiach, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, was responsible for the decree of straw, you see. Because once the Bershom presses the restart button, you see, in order to stop them from falling into the 50th gate of Toma, then he has to satisfy justice as per the previous prosecutions. And therefore it got much worse for the Jews, much worse, after Moshe came. So here we find the Jews suffering terribly in Egypt. And here's Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the Mashiach, you see, and suffering. Now, of course, they were able to help themselves tremendously by not speaking Lashonara later on. You know, but we don't know when that started. But in any case, this is what he has to do. You see? So you need Shmir Salashan to enormously reduce the Kitrugim. And unfortunately, you also have to satisfy justice. And in order to make sure that Jews don't fall in the 50th gate level of Tumah, then the restart button is the Mashiach himself. See? Now there's one more thing that the Jews need to get out of Egypt. And that is by Kriyas Yamsov. There was a tremendous judgment in heaven. Should the Egyptians die or should the Jews die also? And there were tremendous, as I said, a heavenly tribunal. And the um, angel of Egypt said, right, that what do you mean, why should the Egyptians die? Because they serve idols and so on. The Jews also worship idols. So God said that in the merit of the Torah, that they will accept, that will stand for them. So you see something very interesting, that the merit of the Torah can actually stand up against the Memteshai Tumah. You see, which is interesting. Because in the merit that they would say Nasa Venishma, in the merit that they would learn the Torah and accept it, and so on, that is what saved them from the Memteshai Tumah, from all the prosecutions of the Memteshai Tumah. So we now have all the things that have to go on. You see, Shiach has to come as a restart button. Memtes' suffering has to tremendously increase in order to satisfy justice. Shmir's Halashan has to be activated to reduce the terrible amount of prosecutions. And there has to be some type of merit of terror, you know, to quiet the guilt of all the Memtes Shai And this is all what happened in Egypt see 
Now this brings us to today's time. This is what we're seeing. You see, <coughs> whether we realize it or not, we are in the Memteshai tomorrow. 11 million Jews at least are gone to assimilation, intermarriage, unaffiliation. We take a look at what's happening to the Jewish people. The Jews are disappearing. You know, yeah, there's a certain, there's a lot of Torah being learned, right? But it's a very small population. You know, whatever, maybe a couple of hundred thousand Jews, maybe a million Jews are observant, maybe two million. But the overwhelming majority of Jews are gone, assimilated, intermarried. I mean, you read the statistics, you can't believe it. Seven out of ten Jews who are not Orthodox assimilate or intermarry. You believe this? It's incredible what's happening. And this is true all over the world. You see? This is what's happening. So we are really in the Memteshai tomorrow. That's where we're located. The Jews are disappearing, really. I mean, they won't, obviously, because God will not allow it. But that is what's happening. But it's not only that. <laughs> look at civilization. I mean, look at the Goyim. Look at what the non-Jews are doing. You know, in June or July of 2015, the Supreme Court, I think the fifth judge was Arthur Kennedy, they permitted, right, sexual deviation. Constitutionally, they said you cannot discriminate, you see, which is terrible. So they legalized homosexuality. They legalized the LGBTQ+. plus. It's all legal now. Not only is it legal and tolerated, it is preferred. Look at the corruption of what is happening to America. And America is the beacon of the entire world. comes out that the entire world is now in the Memtes. We are actually identical to the generation of the flood. It's hard to believe that. But that's really what's going on. If that's the case, then the world has to end. Just like it ended by the marble. Think about that. Which is, I've shown you, that God will not tolerate the destruction of civilization and the whole concept of sexual deviancy will destroy civilization. You see, like I said, by the marble, that the decree was sealed only because a man, if he married a man or an animal, he would have to write a ksuba. That's what sealed the decree. You see, it wasn't even the theft. But in any case, we are now identical to the marble. It's hard for us to believe that. So the world is in, is in, uh, in a certain situation where it can be destroyed. That's one of the reasons why you're seeing such incredible weather extremes out of no, nowhere. It's not climate problems. It's nonsense. It's because God is warning the world that I'm not going to tolerate this, you see. So if that's the case, we know, like it says, that God must press the restart button. But it's already at the end of the tikkun, you see. It's already toward the end. 
not going to destroy the world. The world already is almost complete in terms of the rectification because of the Jews' exile of 4,000 years. Look how much suffering the Jews have gone through. So the world already is com- almost complete in terms of the Tikkun. So therefore, what the Rav is going to do is bring the Mashiach. That's right. We are in the generation that will see the Mashiach. First Ben Yosef, then Ben David. You see. And the world is being prepared for that. And now we understand. But if that's the case, we know there's tremendous amounts of what? Of <clears throat> prosecutions. So think about it. The prosecution is what? Where the Sultan says, wait a minute. The Jews don't deserve this. You know, especially if, the, uh, if part of the mem test, the uh, 49 levels of defilement is because of the Jews. They don't deserve this. So God says, you're right. And that's one of the reasons of COVID, you see. In fact, the Medrash, there's a Medrash that says that before the Mashiach comes, there will be a tremendous dever, plague, epidemic, pandemic on the earth. It's a Medrash. Why? Why will there be a pandemic before the Mashiach comes? And the answer is to satisfy justice. Because the world will end in righteousness in the sense that, right, justice has to be satisfied. And that pandemic is going to satisfy justice. Uh, That's the basic reason why you have this pandemic of COVID. You see, that's why there's such... The whole world is in turmoil. It's an upheaval. It's upside down in terms of the economy, people dying, right? There's so much misery. Everybody's walking around frightened. You, you, you see, <clears throat> I mean, the whole mankind has been halted in terms of its progress. It's unbelievable. And we're not talking about one country. Look how fast it spreads, you know? I mean, we now have this Omicron. It has spread with unbelievable speed throughout the entire planet because God wants to rush it up. He's not going to wait for years. He wants to do it now. So the suffering has to accelerate with enormous speed in order to bring, to satisfy the justice, since he is now going to bring the Mashiach. You see? So that's number one. Prosecutions, there's number two, it's COVID, we now understand. But then there's number three. What's number three? Well, the sudden says, wait a minute, uh, <coughs> if there's so much evil, then why don't my people dominate? <coughs> right? Why doesn't my evil people dominate? Why would he want his evil people to dominate? You see? Because, so that they can influence Jews to sin. And if the Jews sin, then I get more yuniko, which means more nourishment, more holiness. That's the whole name of the game, to get the Jews sin. But in order for that to happen, evil has to dominate. So the the Ransham says, you're right. Evil will dominate. And that's why all of a sudden, you find who? You find the liberals, the Democrats, progressives. You find an incredible amount of evil out there in America 
the whole America is topsy-turvy. This woke generation, right, is ludicrous, right? Cancel culture is ludicrous. You know, these decrees that people are making to destroy the, the budget and so on, the debt, it's crazy. Because all of this means that evil now dominates. And it's not just here. Uh, we now have the greatest or the worst generation in Israel, the Arab Rav. They are making a war against God and Judaism. They want to alter the laws of Shabbos, conversion, marriage and divorce, right? Learning Torah, the army, right? Shabbos, observance. They want to alter all the laws. Even the Kaisal, right? They want to alter, although I think now they are suspending that. So the rise or the domination of the era of Rav as an outright war against the Torah and God has never been so bad. So you look around and you take a look at America, how evil that has become, and Eretz Israel, and then the evil dominates in the world. Take a look. You have Iran, right? Iran is now building up to become a nuclear power. And America basically doesn't even care. They're not home anymore. They checked out. Then you have Russia, right? Which wants to create tremendous instability in Europe and the world. And then, of course, communist China, which is one of the greatest uh, dangers that the world will face. All of this is nothing more than the evil dominating the globe. You see? Why? Same idea. It's part of the prosecutions of the Sultan that says that, wait a minute, I should dominate, right? Not good and righteousness and holiness. And part of his claim is that he's right because of the Memtes Sharitumma, you see? Now, there's two interesting things. You will find also that in the last 30 years, there has been a tremendous rise in consciousness of Shemir Salashan, of not speaking Lashanara. Do you ever wonder why? Of course, it was generated because of the Sefer of the Chofetz Chaim. He's the one in 1871 that began to write the Sefer, Chofetz Chaim, you see. But it's interesting, that's a long time ago, right? And the whole Shemir Salashan movement really starts in the end of the 80s, 1980s. Why? Is this an accident? No. <laughs> because like Egypt, God needs the Jews to stop speaking Lashonara in order to minimize the prosecutions of the Memtes Sharitoma, of the 49 levels of defilement. That's why this isn't an accident. <clears throat> this is part of the strategy, the plan. And it says, that I will, all right, I will bring the second redemption like the first. That means the second redemption, which is what now is happening now, will be like the first redemption, which is Egypt. Right? How did it happen in Egypt, where the Mashiach came? But there was Shemir Halashan. There was no speaking Lashanara. 
That is why the real reason why there's a rise in consciousness of Shemir Saloshim. And that is also why it's critical to try to spread the concepts of Shemir Saloshim, not speaking Lashon Hara, as far and wide as possible. Because we need that to subdue, right? In some way to subjugate the claims of the Sutton to stop, you see. Because that's what he's screaming. It's Memteshai Tuma. They don't deserve it. You see? So that's why there's a rise in Shmir Saloshan. It's interesting. It's not an accident. Because we are replicating the exact time of Egypt. But there's one more thing. Just like the Jews were saved because of Matan Torah, right? They were saved, and that was the claim, <coughs> is Matan Torah, is that in the merit that the Jews are going to accept the Torah and learn it and so on, God said, I will save them and not the Egyptians. Now you understand something. Why does the Medrash say, right, very interesting message, which I've quoted, but now you can understand why it says this. Here's what it says. Uh, it says, Ein HaGeruyas Miskansos. This is a Medrash Rabba and Pasha Sav of Chomish Vayikra, the third section. Here's what it says. Ein HaGeruyas Miskansos. That the exiles will only be gathered, Right? only because of, which means the exile will end, the schus, the merit, of limit mishnais, to learn mishnais. Why? I mean, we can understand why learning mishnais is Torah, and learning Torah, of course, is tremendous. It's the greatest thing of all. But what does this have to do with the end of the exile? You see, and that's the answer. Because we need that last linchpin, which is to accept the Torah. That's why it's critical that Mishnayas be learned. Because I mentioned that Torah, learning Torah has, is a double-edged sword. The first thing you do is you get the midst of limina Torah, of learning the Torah. But the beauty of Mishnayas is that it's the entire oral law. So by learning Mishnayis, all of it, you will have learned the entire oral law. Not part of it, all of it. But what's even more is that when you learn Mishnayis, it's as if you have observed the entire oral law. So look what it does. You learn Torah. You have learned the entire oral law, which is all of it. And it's as if you have observed the entire Torah. Because I mentioned that's how Torah is connected Kulam. Because learning Torah also has the merit of observing it. <clears throat> and that's what we need as the last thing to get the Jews away from the prosecution of the Mem Teshai Tumah. Isn't it remarkable that we are so close to the Mashiach and that we are actually replicating, you see, what happened in Egypt. It's almost identical what happened there and what's happening now. So it's very important for people to wake up and to engage in Shemir Saloshim, to engage in not speaking Lashonara, 
because that will quiet the prosecutions. And one can even repeat what Moshe Rabbeinu said. The Atem Tachrishun, be silent. Don't speak Russian horror against God and myself. That's what he says. Because that's the whole reason why you're getting out of Egypt. To quiet the prosecution. So don't start it all over again. That's exactly what we need now. And that's what it says by Egypt. That the reason why the Jews got out of Egypt, it says this three times in the Medrash, is because they didn't speak Lashon Hara. Isn't that incredible? And I explain what that means. Right? Because that's what quiets the prosecutions. It stops the heavenly trial right in its tracks. It's the most powerful antidote that the Satan can ever realize because it throws them out of the court. You see, in other words, that itself stops them. Mida connected Mida. You don't condemn somebody, so the Satan cannot condemn you. So it's critical to be involved in Shmir Saloshim. You see, to quiet the prosecutions of the Memteshai Tumah. You see, and the second thing is that if a person can, although now something very good, because on Shabbos, the two Mishnahs a day has started, which is really great, you know, where they learn two Mishnahs a day, so they finish Shisha Siddhar Mishnah, 4,192 Mishnahs, they will finish in less than six years. So that's great that it starts. But it would be great if Yeshiva had a Seder, or what's called Yediyah Satira, which is the what? Which is the knowledge of the entire Torah, a special seder in knowing the Torah, the facts. You see, that would be great. And with all of this together, you see, then the Mashiach will come, and we are now really all in that midst. So it's only a matter of time until justice will have been satisfied, enough shmiras haloshin will have quieted the sudden, you see, and hopefully enough learning will have taken place where Mashiach ben Yosef, who is the first Messiah, can come and contend that he's the one who fights evil. This is the famous Kani Re'em. This is the horns of the Re'em. It says in the Torah that he will take on, which I had said before, he will take on all the evil of the entire world you see, <clears throat> and introduce the incredible messianic era, which is the base Hamikdash, and prophecy will be restored to the Jewish people. And the entire world will benefit, obviously. It's a utopia, you know, for the entire world. So, let us hope that it's going to happen speedily in our days, and Mashiach ben Dovid, Mashiach ben Yosef, will come, certainly, and we will then be in a position of basking truly in the glorious Shechina of the Rabbana Shalom. Thank you. Any questions? Yes. So what do you think, what is the initial... Um, Please speak like? louder. Sure. Do you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So when um, when they were by when they when Bnei, when Bnei Israel stopped speaking Lashon Hara 
and they were trying to work on it, and um, because of the zikhu of the Torah, they were re- Hashem allowed that process to be redeemed. But what was that initial uh, first sign after the straw, after Hashem brought the straw? Uh, what was that first sign that it was a switchover, where the, the, the process started? And how could we correlate that to nowadays? Yeah, the, well, the, the, the switchover is when <clears throat> Moshe Rabbeinu was now allowed to go back to Paroi. And he told him something. He said, let my people go. Because now he had the power, you see. Because the Kitfugim was silent. That's why. So he now could go back to Paroi and begin the Makas. And just as an aside... I'll tell you an interesting concept. It says in the Torah, You shall not go as a tailbearer amongst your people. Right? Don't go as a tailbearer to speak Lashon Hara, Achilles, whatever, against another Jew. Right after that, the next passage says, You shall not stand on the blood of your uh, neighbor, your friend. Right? Your associate. Okay? Why? Because people who speak Russian horror spill blood many times. Terrible things come out of it. You see? If you walk over to somebody and say to that person, do you know what so-and-so said about you? Or what so-and-so did to you? Or what so-and-so wants to do to you? That's called rechilas. Well, the person you're speaking to, who's the receiver, right, is part of the report of what the target character wants to do. It's called rechilus, you see. But in any case, and that can cause bloodshed many times, terrible things. So the verse says, Do not stand by the blood of your neighbor. And I find it very interesting that the first Makkah was blood. Blood. It was the blood of the Egyptians, the Nile. So the blood now went, instead of the Jewish blood, it now became the blood of Egypt. Because the Nile represents the blood of Egypt. So it's an interesting concept, you see, <laughs> that in terms of what Lashon Hara does, now reverse itself to Egypt. But that's, that's what it means. That when Moshe Rabbeinu was able to come back to Parai, that's when it started. Justice had been satisfied. So, so how could we Rabbi, correlate that, that to that. now? I can't hear you. What? How could we correlate that to now? So, like, we don't, our Mashiach didn't even appear yet. So, how could we... There is no, there is no correlation yet. Not yet. <clears throat> we do not see it yet. It's like, uh, you know, during the, the, the decree of straw, you know, for many months they didn't see any correlation. They didn't, there was no turnaround because they were in the midst of satisfying justice. Same thing now. We don't see it yet. But I believe that we are seeing it in a certain sense because the evil is being subdued. Evil is being subdued. Uh, right now, 
they wanted to pass a budget that will destroy America economically. It's astounding how they don't care. And there's a guy, Joe Manchin, senator, who refuses to go along, which means that they cannot pass that insane budget, which is very interesting, you know. I, I find it in general, there's a tremendous amount of, I find, evil in this way. The Constitution, which is the basic law of the land, guarantees that America will preserve its way of life, its civilization. That's what it's for. And what that requires is a standing army. It requires, you know, different things that a government needs to progress. It does not require, and it is wrong, for the government to put their hands in your pocket, take out money and give it to somebody else. That is illegal. It's theft which has nothing to do with the Constitution. Because if you want to help your neighbor, fine. Then give charity, fine. But what empowers, where did the government get off taking their hand and put it in your pocket, take out money and give it for welfare programs to others? They can't do that. They can try to encourage you to give charity or make it easier, but they can't do it at the government is not a charity organization. It's against the Constitution. You should know, I, my belief is that this is one of the evils of this government and of all the governments that want to redistribute wealth. It is an evil. It's called legitimate or legalized theft. But this is all part of the evil. But it's interesting that that's exactly what this bill is, where they want to sponsor and fund all kinds of welfare programs. Now that in itself is nice. But let the people do it because they freely choose to do it. Not because you're forcing them. You see? I, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but I, I felt that that, that has to be said. So the fact that <clears throat> that bill is being discontinued or failing itself be, means that the evil is now being vanquished. Slowly they are dissolving. That is a very good sign. The domination of evil seems to be ending. Any other questions? No, it's a very good class, Rabbi. This is a lot of very profound ideas. So, Rabbi, I have a question. So, the, in, in a lot of the Midrashim, of, um, in the times of the Mashiach, it brings up a lot of things that could scare a person, like of the war, and Gog and Magog, and the, there, there's going to be a shortage of food. And, I don't know. There's all things yeah. that... But, but when you speak about it, you make it sound um, exhilarating and um, uh, amazing and miraculous. So where, where, like, is it going to, are those things that the Midrashim are saying, it's going to be there, but because we have the knowledge of Mashiach's uh, presence, we're, we're not going to be exposed to that as much? Is, or? I'm not exactly understanding what you're asking. Okay. So whenever you hear about the process of Mashiach, there's always a lot of 
negative things that they that say they are going to happen in the world. A lot of yes. people are going to die. A lot of yes. a lot of bad things. Bad news. Yeah. People, yeah, exactly. One third of the world is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a darkness in the world. world like yes. these, like all these That's things. Right. Okay. So, but when you speak about it, you make it sound um, exhilarating, amazing, miraculous. And so my question is, as Jews, where do we fall into, in, these, in this process? Are we going to be like the Jews in, in, um, in Egypt where, like, during the Makot they weren't affected? Well, for, look, for, for us it means that <clears throat> every, everything has a silver lining. You know, I, I, I try to explain both sides why there is such difficulties, you know, so many problems. Why do the Jews suffer so much, you see? But what I do, uh, which I always try to do, is show the good side of it, is show the meaning of it, that really it's to benefit the Jews, it's to cure the Jews. Remember, in the end, God, God is a road faith. In the end, God says, Ani Hashem I'm your healer, right? That indicates two things, right? I mean, in the end of Hazino, it says, right, that I kill, I give life, I cure, I kill, and from my hand is no rescuer, right? God does both. He introduces the kill, the bad news, but he also introduces the fact that he cures, you see? So there's two good sides to this, you know? So why would I want to introduce one side and not the other? Because the truth of the matter, it's a complete picture. You have to understand that whatever we go through is a cure, not a punishment. In fact, that's what it means when it says, ace in the Novi, Ace Sorali Yaakov, there will come a very bad sorrow, suffering to Jacob, Umimeno, and from it Yivoshea, he will be saved. Now that can be read two ways. There is a very bad time of suffering for Jacob, and from it means from the suffering he will be saved, right? That's bad. Or it could be read if there's a tremendous time of suffering for Jacob, umimeno, not from it, but umimeno and from it, and because of it, Yivoshea, he will be saved. You see? So, which way do you want to look? Do you want to look at the, the, the disease, or you want to look that this disease is what enabled you to go get ahead? Everything God does, and this is critical, is for the good. It is not to destroy. It is not to punish. We're not talking here about, right, of compensation. Everything God does is called rehabilitation. And sometimes the rehabilitation is suffering. That's what happens when a person goes for rehabilitation. He suffers a great deal by trying to get his body back in shape. But that's re that suffering is rehabilitative, you see. It's not the purpose to destroy. Therefore, 
why would I only bring <clears throat> the bad part? I have to show you that everything that happens has a meaning, has a logic, is part of a plan. And that plan is to rehabilitate the Jewish people. That's the take-home message. Everything that God does, the Tav Ovid, is only for the good. And that's what Rabbi Akiva used to say in Nochomish Gamzu, Gamzu Letoivo, this too for the good. That's what it says. That means everything God does is only for the good. It's never meant as retribution or to get even with us. You see, that's not the point. That's not the purpose. It is meant to rehabilitate us, to save us, although we don't understand how and why. That all will be revealed by the Mashiach. And I want to tell you something. In the end of time, here's what's going to happen. The Jewish people as one body are all going to scream, right? Thank you for what you did to us, all the suffering that you did to us, because because of it, that is what saved us. And without the suffering, we could never have been saved. All the Jews are going to say that together. We are going to thank God for all the suffering, all the difficulties, the miseries that He's done. Because that was the very device that saved us. You see? That's the lesson of all of this, and that's what I'm trying to bring out. It's all rehabilitation. Every iota. Have I answered your question? Yeah, what was the stage By of the way, rehabilitation? That By the way, what? I was going to say that this week's parasha was talking about all the suffering was only to rehabilitate us. It was in this week's parasha when I was reading Mayam Loez. It was only to help us. Exactly. Being in Mitzrayim. Yes. It's a lot of and what you're what... saying. It's applying today. Exactly. That's what it is. And I'm just showing you how, you see, by interpreting everything you're seeing, that what's happening today is nothing more than a repeat performance of what happened in Egypt. And I'm tying each one. It's almost identical the only difference is, is, is the people doing the evil. But basically it's identical. You see. Rabbi, when I was reading the parasha last week in Shema, um, it was very parallel to what we're seeing now. I'm, like There's a lot of moms confused. Should they vaccinate their kids? Should they not? And it was basically where Parah was the first to quote-unquote depopulate society by killing the firstborn boys. And then it was the mothers to decide whether to fall into the government's decree of kill their firstborn or trust in Hashem and protect their children so that they could live, yeah. which was what Yocheved did, and put Moshe in a, in a basket, and, and yes. that's how he survived. 
and it was just really like today where I was just saying like I don't know how a parent can inject a child with the percentage of like point zero zero two where it's something that it could be like a like a problem to them and like it was it's either up to them like a parent today either protect your kid from a government tyranny or you're gonna you're gonna fall and you're gonna end up killing your child yeah that's right it is astounding how america has fallen into bloodshed by killing this whole pro-choice movement are a bunch of killers that's what they are and it is astounding how people have become so stupid that they don't even see this you know it's really incredible I find what's incredible also is that President Biden is the biggest promoter of infanticide, you know, of uh, uh, um, abortions today. And he claims that he is a Christian. What he is doing is a mortal sin, according to Christianity. Yet he has been let go, okay, by the bishops who have not condemned him, and by the Pope, who has not condemned him. Uh, so they have actually allowed him to promote abortions on demand. It's amazing. A mother can kill her kid for whatever reason, for whatever time. And they, and he calls himself a practicing Christian, Roman Catholic, and they have not condemned him. You know, that will go down as a tremendous blot against the Pope, against the bishops, against the whole Christianity, because they have become an accessory to murder. It's incredible what America has become. You know, when you think about that. Rabbi, there used to be ancient days they used to sacrifice their children to Molech. Who was the ruler at the time? Maybe he's the Gilgul of them. Maybe. Could be. Yeah. Did you believe it? Yeah, they used to kill their kids. Yeah. It's amazing how stupid mankind is. You know, I mean, the Aztecs, you know, they had a whole bunch of girls lined up, bring them up to the uh, temple, whatever they had there. And while the the girl was drugged, used to rip out her heart and offer it to their Avedizara. Can you believe this? This is what the, this is the greatness, the great intellect of mankind. It's unbelievable how stupid people can be, you know. But listen, that's what people are, you know. It's tragic. Brother Paro, didn't Paro also, when he was killing all the, the newborns, he took their blood and was soaking his body with it. Yeah, he bathed in it, yeah. Fat. And yeah. then Mida, and Mida, that was that why the first Makah was dumb. <coughs> yeah. I mean, we may, we may come back and stomach. <coughs> right. Right. Well, like I say, let's hold on. <coughs> you know, and um, listen, as they say in Hebrew, hold on a little longer, and I'm sure it'll come in our time. <coughs> 